2: And welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to check out the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on The Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Stephanie Sutera. And uh, she is with the TAME Society of Paranormal Investigations, and she's a paranormal photographer. Welcome to the show, Stephanie.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: What is a paranormal photographer?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I am a paranormal investigator as well, but uh, since I was a photographer prior to me starting this whole, you know, getting into this business... Mm I, um, you know, I kind of wanted to bring that profession into it, um, into the, my, my, paranormal world. I, um, I'm basically what I'm doing is I'm trying to capture anomalous activity while we are on our paranormal investigations, whether it be a ghost or, you know, um, just something that is unexplainable, mm-hmm. uh, would trying to document that with um, my my camera. And how
2: successful have you been so far?
0: Well, I don't think I've collected enough data to really make comparisons Mm -hmm. um, on a lot of different fronts. But I do have a good handful of pictures that I've found are pretty extraordinary, Um, you know, very interesting um, not i was not able to debunk any of them because there's you know there are a lot of different ways that pictures can be mistaken for the paranormal when they're actually something that's just common everyday things that happen
2: so what was it
0: that got you interested
2: in the paranormal
0: well when i was a kid i always checked out uh, books at the library of you know real hauntings and People's experiences and things like that. And um, when I was in high school, I frequented a very good friend of mine's house, and um, I was pretty close with their family. And throughout my time there, I, you know, I had a lot of paranormal experiences. I'd see shadows. Um, first time I stayed there, it sounded what was like a lamp being thrown across the room and smashing against the wall. Um, but I think what really solidified my belief in it and what made my curiosity peak was one day after school, I went and hung out with, uh, to go hang out with my friend, but she had an after school job and wasn't back yet. Right. A cleaning job where they did, um, you know, they had to go after their, their regular day jobs and they just let me hang out in the house by myself, waiting Mm -hmm. for her to get home while I went in the kitchen. And I looked to my left, it's four o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight. And I see a man walk across the hallway, past the doorway in the kitchen that I was standing in and I grabbed all my stuff and I ran outside, but that was, you know, full apparition. Couldn't have imagined that I was alone in the house. Plus I had already had all those experiences, but later on, uh, years down the road, I worked with the co-founder of TSPI, um, who is no longer with us. He's retired, but, um, he posted on social media that he was looking for someone and I jumped right on that. And, you know, I've been with the team ever since. All right. So
2: what kind of training do paranormal investigators uh, get as far as being investigators?
0: Well, I mean, as you know, there is, um, at least in in my country, in the United States, uh, there's no college or anything that'll give you a degree Mm -hmm. in parapsychology or anything like that. So Uh, a lot of us, um, it's more research-based. So... Like when we have a team member come on the team, we train them from the things that, you know, that we've already learned or the data we've collected or the Mm -hmm. research that we've done prior to this. And, I mean, for me, being a paranormal photographer, I just used the training that I already had previous to that and, you know, tried to apply it to this scene.
2: So how many investigations have you gone on with the uh, Tame Society of Paranormal Investigators?
0: You know, I really wish I've kept track because people ask me that all the time. I don't know. I, I, let's say, I, this is, I'm just spitballing here. Maybe sure. Like How many? Like 50.
2: Okay. Your connection with us is breaking up, so I'm sorry if I have to repeat myself. Um, what has been the most startling investigation that you've been on?
0: Well, um, we did have an investigation in Massachusetts in the United States um, that was a home, a residence that ran a daycare out of their lower half of the building. Mm-hmm. And um, that one was particularly crazy because the, the client, they kept calling us and telling us they were getting all this activity. They were being pushed. They were being shoved. They said they got shoved like right before we got there. Oh, gosh. Um, so and, you know, the medium that was on our team at the time, um, she, you know, she didn't know anything. Um, we, Seamus and I, my director, we decided that we we found out that someone had committed suicide in one of the rooms, but we decided to keep that, you know, hush us between the two of us. So she ended up telling us that that room was someone that committed suicide. And I don't know, she was she was very freaked out that whole night. And um, my director, Seamus, when he was downstairs in one of the rooms that the kids would play in frequently, he heard what sounded like an animal growl. And I don't know, that, that entire case was just very unsettling for everyone. I didn't have any personal experiences. I did capture... A couple pictures of an anomalous, um, morph like blob type thing, but <laughs> I couldn't. It was not debunkable by shadow, like being a shadow or anything like that. Um, it, but it didn't uh, create any any sort of shape that was recognizable to you know like a, a form of a person or anything like that.
2: So what happened with the daycare investigation? What were the what was the final outcome?
0: Um, well, we did give the, you know, our information back to them and, uh, we are just data collectors, so we don't do any clearings or anything like that, but we do have a network of people that we work with. So really depending on, you know, uh, let's say you're a person of faith and, um, we would send a member of the clergy of, of we have a couple of people that we work with that mm-hmm. we would kind of, you know, we'd ask the client what they would like to do after sure. we gave them the found, findings. And then, you know, we would, you know, give them a, a recommendation for someone else to help them sort of solve the problem. So and then we would pass off all of our data to that person. And some people are just, you know, they just want to know kind of what is going on and don't don't really want to progress from there. But they did end up having a member of the clergy coming in, and as far as I know, they haven't had any other activity.
2: I would imagine is it is very unsettling for these people who go through this psychological trauma believing that there is an entity or an unseen force that is invading their space.
0: Yeah, and, you know, because we get calls from all sorts of different types of people. Like you have Mm -hmm. businesses and you have museums, and those are pretty easy because a lot of those people are just curious about the place that they're in, that they work in. Mm -hmm. And when you're involved with somebody who's in their house with their family and they're living with this and they have stuff happening to them at nighttime. Exactly. I mean – regardless of whether or not we found it to be something logical mm-hmm. that was going on, you know, certain sounds that they would hear at certain types times of the night or, you know, something was happening that, that was like easily explainable like that. You're, they're still scared. Yeah. You know, and, and e- that's actually very satisfying for me when I can go in there and give them a really easy explanation. It's like, don't worry. Like this isn't something that's actually happening, you know, this is what's happening. It's this, 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 and this. These are the problems in your home that's creating these sounds. It was like, you know, and then give them recommendations to get things fixed. But then it kind of gives them a peace of mind and they calm down a little bit, you know, and it's, it's easier just to live daily life. So how long
2: has the uh, Thames Society of Paranormal Investigations been around?
0: Uh, we've been around since 2010. Ah. I joined about six months in.
2: And how many members are there in your investigation uh, team?
0: Well, um, we just are inducting two new members. so And then someone just retired. So I think that's it. We're at eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness.
2: All right. Stand by, please, Stephanie. You and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. IndexO Nation Stephanie Suter is our special guest. And she is a paranormal photographer and Associate Director of the Thames Society of Paranormal Investigations. And her their website is www.tspiparanormal.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And you're listening to us around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, the Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeart Radio. As well as Simul TV. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Stephanie, when somebody contacts uh, you at the Tame Society of Paranormal Investigations and they say, Stephanie, my house is haunted. Strange things are happening. I've got kids. They can't sleep at night. My husband and I are are at odds because we don't know what's going on. How would you and your team conduct yourselves or what would be the steps that you would take prior to actually doing an investigation?
0: Well, first, I mean, they will do the initial contact. And Mm -hmm. then my director, Seamus Denniston does a preliminary phone interview. So, you know, he kind of, uh, gets all the information, the claims, um, gets any extra added information if they know any history on the house. Right. And, um, he also checks to see if there's any signs of, you know, maybe, uh, they're, you know, obvious substance abuse, or, you know, maybe um, mental illness, because we we do get some calls that end up not being, you know, paranormal at all. And, you know, after that, he kind of makes the decision on whether or not we're going to take the case. And then we send out two of our investigators to go conduct conduct another interview at their home. And we have a clinical psychologist that is on the group, uh, Mm -hmm. Laura Palmese, and she's, you know, she's been doing psychology and, you know, she's a doctor, so she's been doing that her whole life. Um, and she'll sit down and that'll also give her any other warning signs of whether or not this isn't somebody on the level or, you know, or, uh, those other things like substance abuse or maybe, uh, family abuse in the home and, After that, we make a conclusion of whether or not we're going to bring the team in. Um, Some people don't go any farther than that. They just maybe want somebody to come clear the home and don't actually want the investigation. So that's when we, again, send them off to someone, uh, part of our network that we work with. Now, when you
2: you say, excuse me, just uh, before we go any further, when you say clear the home, what does that entail?
0: Well, it kind of depends on you know, who, who is, who is doing it. And, um, because, you know, some people, uh, do sort of a blessing for the home and they have somebody from the clergy come in and, 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 um, you know, do certain prayers and and rituals and and they'll do that way. And then there's, you know, there's, we have others, uh, connections with some native Americans and some Wiccans and pagans and things like that, that may come in and sage the home.
2: Okay, so you and your team do the telephone interview. Then a second team, including a psychologist, is dispatched to the address to do a, a follow-up investigation, and I would imagine a more intense investigation, or interview, I should say. You and your team decide that, all right, this requires a paranormal investigation. How do you proceed at that time?
0: Well, um, before we set up the date to come into the home, uh, we try to do some background research. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do that, um, you know, on the clients and, and then also look at the property, look at, you know, try to contact local historians and get some information, uh, scour old newspapers and things like that, looking for anything that may sort of give us, um, a lead of how we're going to conduct our in- investigation. So, like, let's say we know there's something terrible that happened in the house. Right. That may be how we lead off our questioning. I mean, it doesn't always guarantee that we'll find something, but you know, it it, it just uh, gives so you a place to start. More detail. Yeah.
2: Okay. So you do your your outside investigation. What happens the day or the night that you and the investigators actually go to the house? Walk us through.
0: Well, okay, well, you know, we get there, of course, and we introduce our clients to our team, and um, you know, that's always important because somebody's letting you into their house. They don't sure. know you. They've they have to feel that they can trust you in some sort of way. So that that is always first. But you know, we bring in all of our equipment. Um, we have eight DVR cameras that are IR um, illuminators mm-hmm. and. We set them up around the house so that we have a little home base that we, someone is always manning to, you know, kind of keep an eye on the situation on, you know, on the cameras and also look for any interference that may be happening outside of the home that, you know, could be picked up on our audio recorders and things like that. But, um, you know, after that, we will split up into different teams and have different sessions throughout the night and sort of take different techniques in each of our sessions. You know, I'm, I might go in and I'll do my, um, my photography process and and I'll do half of that. Or, you know, we'll go in and we um, use the spirit box. Uh, we do consider it experimental. We only use it like we use, um, sort of questions that you would have to give absolute direct answers, not something like yes or no. Um, and, you know, just it, it all depends. And then, you know, if one session is going really well in a certain place and we end because we usually do about a 30 minute session, we will send a team back into that room because the activity just seems to be hot in there.
2: Now, you mentioned a spirit box for our listeners who may be asking what that is. Can you explain it, what it is and how it works?
0: Okay. Well, basically what it is, is a device that scans several frequencies Mm -hmm. of, uh, radio frequencies. Now, you know, we have our AM and our FM radios on specific channels and frequencies, but I have, um, a box that, that, you know, can do Mm -hmm. frequencies that aren't always used by, you know, uh, primarily by things. And, and what it does is it scans six different frequencies per second and what it is said, the theory is, is that the ghost is manipulating the, um, the speaker in some way and, or the waves in the air and um, coming out with its own sound by manipulating vibrations.
2: So how does the ghost do that? I didn't think that ghosts were that intelligent.
0: And, right? Well, I mean, that's always something that we're trying to figure out. Um, you know, because when we use an audio recorder as well, you are wondering, okay, well, why is this box being, you know, how, mm-hmm. how is it picking up audio? So, I mean, one theory is that it's actually manipulating the device itself. And then another theory is that it is manipulating the actual uh, audio frequencies within the air, which is being picked up by the audio recorder.
2: And who's doing this manipulation? The ghost?
0: (laughs) Well, that's what they say. I mean, there are other theories that, you know, um, you have your interdimensional beings because, you know, we have several dimensions that we don't know about or haven't, or we know they're there, but we don't have a lot of details on. So there's that theory, but I don't know. Um, from my experience, I feel as if I've contacted uh, people who just couldn't pass and they got stuck there. I, I know that, you know, others will say demons and things like that. I have not yet encountered one, luckily. So I can't really give you too much information on that.
2: Okay, so you gather this in, in information. How long does it take for you to process all the data before you guys and gals can, can get together and say, all right, we have well, something, it, or we have nothing.
0: It takes a couple of weeks. Um, all of our investigators—we have day jobs, and some have kids. Some are going to college still, and it's kind of hard for us to process it right away. But we upload it all online so that we can do it from home. And so, after a couple of weeks, we, you know, we put all that information and give it back to the client and reveal our findings.
2: All right. Now, do you give the client a written report?
0: Um, Seamus has a a type of report that um, gives, like, we have a a whole paper that we we fill out, and we Mm -hmm. give them, you know, uh, what was going on with with the tides and the moon and things, fun things like that. What time of year? And then, um, you know, we'll we'll give them if we have our medium on. We'll kind of give them not as a, an exact piece of evidence, but we will consider it like a personal experience of hers. And then we'll also reveal the other investigators' personal experiences, as well as give them findings that we, any evidence that we find, if we find any.
2: What part does a medium play in a paranormal investigation?
0: Well, I mean, I can't speak for every team, but for ours, it is another way for us to find a lead. So if our medium goes in and she sits in a room and she says, you know, I feel as if there's someone there's someone here, I think that that I'm getting this
1: mm-hmm.
0: name from them, I'm getting this from them from that from them. That is a tool for us to position our questioning. It may make us be like, well, okay, well, she's getting this. So why don't we try diverting our questioning to the things that she's saying right for right now and see if we're getting any activity from the um, the information that she's receiving. But um, we never use it as an absolute.
2: Uh, okay. So, so the medium is basically a tool that you use.
0: Yeah, and I mean, of course, we do give it as, a, like I said, a personal experience. But yeah, we, we, we consider, we cannot prove it as a definite. So we can't say that it is hard evidence.
2: Okay. I think I understand. Stand by, Stephanie. You and I have to take a commercial break. We'll both be back on the other side of the news. And Exonation. if you would like more information about the... Um, Tame society of paranormal investigations visit their website at tspiparanormal.com i'll be back on the other side of the news as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here in the x-zone from our broadcast center in hamilton ontario canada don't go away guys broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
4: I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, Founder-President by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com.
2: Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the x Radio Show with Rob McConnell, the Science of Magic with Guilda Wiaka. And welcome back, everyone. Listen, if you uh, enjoy the X Zone radio show on the X Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, or iHeartRadio, you can now watch the X Zone channel on Simul TV, 724 365, for more information about Simul TV and how you can tune into the X Zone, as well as the other great channels that our good friend Steve Turner and the company at Simultv have, just go to www.simultv.com. Stephanie Suterra is our special guest and she is the paranormal photographer and associate director of the Thames Society of Paranormal Investigations. Their website is tspiparanormal.com. Stephanie, earlier you, we touched vaguely, very very gently and softly and with caution when it came to something that is demonic. What is your take on demonology when it comes to the paranormal?
0: Um, Well, I'm not saying that I believe in demons or anything like that. Like I said before, I have not encountered anything like that. Um, But, you know, I do think that shows a few years ago there was sort of a super hyped up experiment about humans, and I feel that maybe people were interpreting something that more of a, a not so nice being rather than a having to be uh, necessarily demonic.
2: Does one's own religious beliefs have a lot to do with the type of paranormal investigations or paranormal activity that might occur in their home?
0: Um, I think that would depend on um, the type of investigation it is because I, I would say that you know sometimes it would just give the client a peace of mind to have their own you know, member of the clergy, uh, you know, or their own someone of their own faith come in and do that. Um, Others, it would be probably more beneficial that if you could determine what you thought was wrong in the home. Like if um, a certain person who you knew was of, of a certain fate died in like a really horrific way and you were really thinking that that was the issue, then I would say to bring in someone that was more of that, you know, faith. Actually, actually the question, the question I was trying to... Yeah, the question. ...is attracted to a certain type of person. I don't, I've, you know, I've never even thought to um, collect that much data to sort of compare that. That's very interesting. No, what I was basically
2: asking was the type of paranormal activity that one may uh, experience does it have any basis in the person's religious beliefs?
0: Uh, you know, de- are you saying depending uh, like that that um, they would get, a, if they were a Catholic, that they would get sort of, a, they would be more apt to have a demon that would be in the Christian faith? Yeah, or, or something along those lines, yes. I I don't think it would probably depend on that specific person I, because, you know, if it was, like I said, if it was directly involved, like the the entity wasn't there, you know, um, who, who was there wasn't necessarily the same faith as you. It may just come to you because you are there in its presence. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that maybe there was someone of a na- Native American belief that um, saw someone else that was of that same belief and may be more apt. To try and contact that person, but you know, I don't. I don't have enough data to really answer that like definite.
2: Speaking about data, when it comes to the people who have paranormal experiences, are there any statistics to to share with the audience?
0: Uh, um, you mean, on um, how often we? we have some catch something is that no no
2: no for example are women more apt to have paranormal experiences than men uh is there a certain is there a certain age group
0: that but i i i'm telling you i'm not sure i would believe that i would think it would be how closed off of a person you are in general
2: but i i was asking based on the statistics that your own group
0: Correlates and gathers. That's what I was asking. Um, no, I've I've never really thought of um, a comparison. It's not, I mean, we are, only have had mediums that were women. No, 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 so, no,
2: no, do, do no, 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 no. Let me let me give you the, the question again. During the investigations that you and the Tame Society of Paranormal Investigations have done over the years, now you've been with them, I believe, for almost eight years, Yes. You've gone on at least 50 investigations. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Out of those investigations, based on those 50 cases, were there more women that were the
0: object of the paranormal activity or men? Oh, you were talking about not our team members. You're talking about the clients. Um I actually, you know, come to think of it, there have been a little bit more women Mm -hmm. that have contacted us and saying that they've had the paranormal activity. I am not sure if it is a stigma to, um, for, for the male of the male persuasion to not really want to reveal that they were scared of something like that, or if it's actual sensitivity to the paranormal. Okay. Fair enough.
2: And is there, once again, based on your 50 investigations over the last eight years, is there one type of paranormal activity that has a higher percentage than other aspects of paranormal activity within a house or establishment?
0: Um, Well, I I feel that... uh what we would call a lower energy spirit would be popping up more. Um, that would be someone who didn't leave for certain reasons that were, you know, negative. Um, I say that a lot of the more happier hauntings have been more of the, the residual types just, you know, sort of impressions in time. Mm-hmm. But that the ones that are more um, apt to speak with us seem to have stayed there because they just didn't cross over because of something bad, like either sadness or anger that is usually felt, you know, on those investigations.
2: I I, I didn't know that there were good paranormal hauntings and bad paranormal hauntings. What's the difference?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you have in my experience, I've had things that did not want me there, would tell me to re- leave grumpy. Um, and then there are others that were just, um, like I said, like, a, a the happier ones that we have had were like, for instance, in a theater, we were in the stairwell and the whole place was locked down and you had a man who was singing. Mm-hmm. He was happy practicing beautiful and have it captured clear as day and there's no one else in the building. And that was not necessarily something that was bad. Um, You know, you've had some that tell you to get out and um, you know, there's obvious, why would you not want some, someone there? Why would you not want to be bothered when you're, you know, stuck in some place? So there's, there's, you know, negative feelings that come with that.
2: Let me ask you, have you or any member of your team ever been physically touched or or pushed or harmed in any way by a, a ghost, a spirit?
0: I have not, luckily, mm-hmm. been scratched or pushed or anything. I've been touched. Um, I've, I've been, you know, I've had my, my shoulder squeezed before and I've had... Um, and we're talking by a ghost here, right? Not a yes, member of your of team. Yes, of okay. Well, gotcha. I have both, but oh, I was referring you. to a ghost. <laughs> um, but uh, we haven't had anything like mm-hmm. super negative. No but I-, I have to say, like Seamus too, is also kind of careful a lot of the times with how, like, what types of situations he brings the team into. So I, I think that's why we haven't encountered too many things like demons because he will refer them to other teams that sort of specialize in um that type of of haunting but
2: what would happen if somebody called you and you believed that it was a demonic case where in fact it wasn't isn't that putting the person who's coming to you for help in harm's way <laughs>
0: Well, that's that's exactly why we wouldn't be taking the cases because that is not exactly our specialty. Uh, so, no, no,
2: I, once again, I understand that. I understand that. My question is, how can you be sure without doing an investigation to determine whether or not that is indeed a demonic case or just the person's or the target's misinterpretation of the events, and it has nothing to do with the demonic possession or demonology, but it's a regular paranormal, if there is such a thing, it's a regular paranormal
0: case. There have been a few people that have called us, mm-hmm. that have tried to, or have said those types of things because they really thought that they believed them. Right. Um, one case in particular, the person was on um, some medications that made them hallucinate, but for the most part, anyone's that he would believe that, it was, you know, okay, well, I'm going to take this. Right. This is like a really severe case, and I am going to refer this to someone who is a demonologist. Okay, stand by. We've got to take our final break.
2: ExoNation, our guest this hour, is the one and only Stephanie Sutero She is with the um, Team Society of Paranormal Investigation. She is the paranormal photographer and associate director... Uh, We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone. Don't go away.
3: You have heard of the X-Zone. Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more.
4: William S.
2: All right, at ExoNation, my guest this hour is Stephanie Sutera. She is the paranormal photographer and associate director of the Thames Society of Paranormal Investigation, and she's been with them for eight years. To this point in time, what has been the most significant evidence that you and your team have found to to, to better say that, yes, the paranormal is real? And that there is something on the other side.
0: Well, um, I have to say we have some very impressive audio clips that are not mistaken uh, easily mistakenable for just a sort of sound or something that was going on. Uh, we do have some audio clips of just, you know, certain anomalous moans and stuff like that that aren't very crisp. But there are certain ones that are pretty uh, crisp and clear you know telling you to go away and everything else is silent um, when you're reviewing this audio uh, you're sitting in a quiet room with your headphones on and you're, you have it as loud as you can get it and 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 the normal sounds that you hear all the time are easy to hear when you know you've been doing this for so long so when something like that, happens it just I mean it's it pops out at you it's it's very distinctive and you know you also know your teammates voices sure. very well <laughs> so that that also helps so if you think it is someone else and we do have rules while we investigate where there's things like we ask questions we wait a certain amount of time for a response we don't talk over each other. We, um, you know, we're not allowed to whisper. Even when we make a sound, we have to say, that was me. I did this (laughs) because we are so, you know, we want so much, you know, have, have it controlled as much as we can.
2: So you're talking about EVPs.
0: Yes, that, that, that is definitely the best thing we've ever had. I do have a piece of photographic evidence that I took in Mystic, Connecticut, in the United States, at the Denison Homestead, which is um, probably my most impressive uh, photograph evidence. And it's like half of an apparition. And um, but most of it is audio. It's it's always the best. I, most teams will say the same. So how come uh, let me ask you
2: first, uh, do you use an analog recorder or digital?
0: We have both.
2: And are um. these are the same EVPs recorded on both the digital and the analog at the same time?
0: Uh, no, we usually do uh, one of the other uh, just because tapes are kind of hard to come by and, and they're um, a bit expensive uh, to keep. Getting stuff where as a memory card you can do it over and over again. But we also do things like we have uh, mono recorders that okay. are, record digital, and then we have uh, ones that record in stereo. In um, you know, we use a wave format, which has you know a lot more detail to the audio. All right, so
2: why is it then that the audio is not recorded or not audible to the human ear during the actual? Um, sound that is being made by by the paranormal entity, but it is only recognizable after when doing a playback.
0: Well, the human ear can only hear so many frequencies. Like, you know how you have a dog whistle and that can be heard like really, really loud to a dog, but only certain parts of it can be heard you know, uh, from our ears. Well, it's kind of the same thing with your audio recorder. It can record frequencies that the human ear just cannot pick up.
2: All right, then let me ask you this. If you cannot hear the dog whistle when it is being blown, and you cannot hear the dog whistle on the recording, that kind of shoots that theory down.
0: Well, the thing is, is that, um, when you're putting this stuff into an, uh, like an audio software of sorts, Mm -hmm. like you're, you're bumping that up. So if you're, so
2: if you're bumping, no audio is my business. Okay. So if, if you're bumping up a WAV file and let's say you're putting it up from 32 to 48 and you're Mm -hmm. increasing the bit ratio, you're also increasing distortion, So my point is, is that if you take that raw audio waveform, you play it back without the digitization, without bumping it up, is that sound there?
0: Well, I mean, it's obviously there because you're catching something, but that's where you get, um, cause you're also talking about decibels too. So it could be, you know, the, the sound itself is really, really low, um, but then you also have that theory that the actual entity is uh, manipulating the device itself and creating vibrations within it. How? I have no idea. There's but also a new theory, the theory being
2: put out by, I believe it's Harvard University, that what is happening is that when these recordings are being done, it is actually catching the, the uh, thought process of those who are doing the paranormal investigation and that is what's being recorded what do you think about that uh, theory
0: that's 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 pretty interesting I, I have not read the 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 findings on that or even seen that but i'm that's pretty neat and that's sort of like um projecting your own thoughts onto something else but that I mean, wouldn't that be kind of part of paranormal investigating because it's not necessarily having to do with a ghost? It would be, um, you know, you're sort of seeing if your mind can put its thoughts into something else. All right. So let's say that this theory is correct and it is Mm -hmm. proven
2: to be correct. What does that do to all the EVPs that have been taken and all the hype that goes into the EVPs and so many paranormal groups and so many paranormal investigators? using the EVP as the Rosetta Stone uh, as to there is the proof that the paranormal is real. Wouldn't that just kill it?
0: Well, I guess you could say that. But then you're also not knowing exactly if it is the only thing that's being caught. I mean, if if they would have to be able to prove that that Mm -hmm. was exactly what was happening every time that a um you know, a piece of audio was being recorded. But I think it would probably start shifting um, you know, things uh, away less from haunting and more from um, you know trying to figure out how that phenomenon happens. Because, you know, I we've there's a lot of things in the early days that, you know, people believed in that that turned it out to be just nothing or or hoaxes or something like that or something really easily explainable.
2: Is there really the need for paranormal investigations or is this just a a hobby that people indulge in just like civil war reenactment?
0: Well, I say both. Um because there's always, you know, uh people use uh the, the paranormal as like sort of an entertainment uh, uh venue. I mean, mm-hmm. we do things around Halloween that are more fun rather than um or well they're both fun and educational cuz we we try to teach people our methods while we uh, conduct like public ghost hunts and things like that or we'll give lectures and people are really fascinated about it but they're not going to go out and actually become a paranormal sure. investigator but um i think that even if it, we found out that ghosts weren't real and there were easily explainable reasons for half the things that we were catching and um but we don't know that now, at least those people who were able to, you know, get a peace of mind that didn't have hauntings in their house and they're now no longer scared, I guess that's at least worth it.
2: So would it be safe to say that at the very least, paranormal investigators, you uh, give the person who is, who is having these alleged paranormal experiences a placebo effect?
0: Uh, That's perfectly uh, possible. I mean, um, there are people that psych themselves out all Mm -hmm. the time. Um, They get wrapped up in in, in the magic of the paranormal. I mean, and really, you know, uh, everybody always says how exciting it must be to be a paranormal investigator. And I mean, the most exciting part is meeting people and, and going and seeing new places. But during the actual research part of everything, it is kind of monotonous and boring at times because you, you, don't, you don't always catch something. Sure. Like you'll go out there and there'll be nothing.
2: I understand that. And it must be, uh, you know, how, how do you look at it?
0: For, let
2: me just ask this last question because I'm running out of time and I still have a whole bunch of oh, questions that's for you. Why is it called ghost hunting? Because when you go to hunt something, you go to catch it or kill it. It's already <laughs> dead.
0: it's really funny uh there's a a, um an paranormal investigator that's it's he's considered like one of the founders and Mm -hmm. i guess one of his books was called that so when um the ghost Hunters show came out uh the founder of like jason hawes i guess was a really big fan of his and so he sort of took that term but you're right we're not killing anything (laughs) we're not hunting anything maybe hunting research
2: there you go Listen, Stephanie, we have to say so long for now. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And Exone Nation, if you would like to get more information about Stephanie and the work that she and her group does, it's very simple. Just go to www.tspiparanormal.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exone. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away.